Uh, with the rapid fire then so the first one is at what age do you want to retire uh next year what's your favorite mobile app um linkedin how long does it take you to get ready in the mornings 20 to 30 minutes most embarrassing moment of your life that's i have had many <laughs> mountains or beaches beaches for sure What's the most useful mobile feature you can't live without? Text messaging. Favorite color? Blue. What time of day are you most inspired? Mornings. How many hours of sleep can you survive on? Two. Fill in the blank. An upcoming blockchain trend is blank. Decentralized finance. The city in which the best kiss of your life happened? San Francisco, of course. Pick one, Android or Apple? Apple. The biggest mistake of your career? Not moving faster sooner. How do you relax? I sleep. How many cups of coffee do you drink per day? One. A habit of yours that you hate? Chewing my nails. The most valuable skill you've learned in life? To have empathy for others. Cities or countrysides? Cities for sure. And the last one is your favorite Netflix show. Oh my, I don't watch Netflix. Amazon or any OTT platform show? My... I skip on that one. I don't watch that TV. I don't watch TV. That's okay. I'm such a dork. <laughs> All right, so the longer questions. Uh, the first one is, what are the biggest challenges facing the development and adoption of blockchain technology today? And how do you plan to address them? So I think some of the biggest challenges is uh, two things. One is education. People still do not understand what blockchain is and what blockchain can enable um, in regards to things like efficiencies and productivities around multiple industries. I think the other challenge is, so education is a challenge. The other challenge is actually developer education, getting enough developers into the ecosystem that can help build and, and develop these new applications. So at the Hyperledger Foundation, we do a lot of work in regards to uh, education about blockchain and blockchain-related technologies. We also have, from a developer perspective, we have a great ways to onboard new developers into our ecosystem and to the different projects that we have. Uh, we also spend a lot of time making sure that developers have access to training, um, training to understand the basics of blockchain or things like digital identity and self-sovereign identity. And then as they get deeper in the, into their uh, coursework, uh, how to develop, how to be certified administrators, et cetera. So I think that's a really critical part of what the Hyperledger Foundation offers. So could you describe a project or initiative that you have been particularly proud of during your tenure at the Linux Foundation? Yeah, so I think, you know, some of the work that we're seeing around climate action um, specifically, where technology is being used to solve real world problems, um, really inspires not only myself, but our community as well. Um, so I'll give you an example out of the government of British Columbia. Um, the government of British Columbia has been contributing and participating in the Hyperledger Foundation since 2017. What that means is they actually have developers and they're contributing code. They're building the code bases that are being used for different um, uh, projects. 
Uh, one of those is with the Energy Minds uh, Initiative. This is an initiative with public and private sector working with the mining industry in British Columbia to be able to sustainably mine uh, minerals out of the earth and be able to track those along the way. Um, it's a really a great, powerful way to use blockchain uh, from a Providence perspective, uh, from a sustainability and a carbon accounting perspective as well. So that's interesting. Then how do you balance the needs and interests of different stakeholders in the blockchain communities, such as de developers, businesses, and governments? Yeah, it's, you know, one of the things it's uh, it's about balancing not just those three categories of developers and governments and businesses, but also a global community. So making sure that we can address the global needs of those three categories. Uh, for us, we really feel that the Hyperledger Foundation is a place to convene uh, those developers, those business leaders and business decision makers, along with the government representatives that can make changes um, to these systems. And how do you ensure that the open source development process at the Linux Foundation uh, remains inclusive and diverse? And what strategies have you found to be the most effective in achieving this goal? So we have a saying here at the Hyperledger Foundation and across the Linux Foundation that all are welcome. So every meeting that you go to, for example, we start with our um, all our welcome message. Um, we want to make sure that it's a place for inclusivity. Um, we also spend a lot of resources and time to make sure that, for example, underrepresented communities in the engineering and developer community um, understand that there's an opportunity for them to come to the Hyperledger Foundation and to build skills that then they can in turn contribute back uh, to their companies, to their governments, to their regions. Um, so from a diversity perspective, it is a battle that's ongoing. Uh, open source is no different than other technology um, um, platforms out there, is how do you make sure that you have the right people in the room? For us, it's really important to spend time with, for example, university students uh, across the different regions and just make sure that they understand that all are welcome, all can contribute, um, and all can really participate in our own open communities. And how do you personally uh stay current with the rapidly evolving landscape of blockchain technology and what resources or communities do you rely on to stay current and up to date? So one of the things is every single day, multiple times a day, the Hyperledger community is getting together to work on different projects, uh, special interest groups, or our special interest groups really range between you know supply chain, trade finance, healthcare, and many more. Um, I actually listen to many of those special interest groups meetings, sometimes in person, sometimes via recording. Um, I read a lot, and I think one of the things that blockchain and blockchain technologies has done is really created a lot of content uh, around what's happening. So it's, uh, keeping uh, up with uh, LinkedIn, keeping up with the blockchain media and the mainstream media as well is really important. Um, it is a rapid fire industry every single day. Uh, for example, I've had a couple of talks here at Mobile Web Congress. I wouldn't go on stage without actually looking to see what happened in the news because every day there's something new and something big. And it's a danger of getting left behind. <laughs> exactly. Uh, no one wants to be left behind or not know uh, uh, what's being said. But I think it's just the evolving uh, uh, technology and these innovation uh, technologies really move really fast. So you just got to try to keep on top of it. It's hard. <laughs> Could you discuss your approach to managing and leading a global team of open source developers and what skills you think are most important for success in this role? So, you know, one of the things that the Hyperledger Foundation is unique is that we actually only have nine employees. 
And these nine employees are empowered throughout the community to really guide the community, the developers, the marketers in the community to, um, to support the, the, uh, the projects and the work that the teams are doing. So for me, it's really important to find a nice balance between giving uh, my staff the opportunity to also be leaders and manage their own departments as well, um, whether they're the community architects that work very closely with the developers or the ecosystem team that work very closely with our member companies, is how can I empower them to empower the members and the developers as well. Um, so for us, we have to be open. Uh, we have to have empathy for other. There's people in our organization and in our community that have other life circumstances, and we want to make sure that they uh, find uh, that all are welcome here, that they can participate regardless of where their background is and what their day-to-day -day looks like. So going back to like keeping up to date with the trends, how do you balance the need for innovation and experimentation with the need for stability and reliability in blockchain technology? Yeah, so one of the reasons that companies use Hyperledger technologies, the projects that we have, is because we have a very established project lifecycle. And these projects are open source code bases that are developed collaboratively in the community, but they also have a project lifecycle that is understandable by enterprises. So, for example, we explain our projects as being enterprise-grade. Um, enterprise-grade means that uh, organizations can use the code, implement the code, and know that there's a community to help support it. Um, for example, the most advanced of our projects will have LTSs, which is long um, 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 LTS support. Um, and that helps an enterprise understand that this code is built for the enterprise and it's production ready as well. So could you describe your vision for the future of blockchain and identity and how the work being done at the Linux Foundation is contributing to this vision? So it is um, a 10 or 20 year uh, future vision, I think. Um, a lot of these technologies, although the news might seem like it's moving very fast, but the adoption of that technology moves at a slower pace, as it probably should. Um, I think one of the things that we have to keep in mind is that I hope that one day we actually don't talk about blockchain. Um, if you think about, you go to a website and you don't say, wow, this is really great JavaScript. You don't. Maybe the geekier ones of us might do that. But the goal is that blockchain just becomes part of the infrastructure, that financial services, that healthcare, that supply chain, that governments build into their systems. And I think we're getting there um, where people do not want to discuss just the blockchain element of it, but what it, the technology is actually doing. So uh, if I, if I see a future in five to 10 years where I don't have to speak about blockchain, I think we've accomplished that. Right. So the last question for you is of a personal kind. It is, what would you be doing in your life if not this right now? Oh, that's a very simple one. I would be a librarian. So I have a master's of library and information science. I've always been interested in the bits and the bytes of data and the equality of access to the data um, that you know, obviously many librarians um, are focused on. When I did my master's program, I really did it around information technology. It was the early 90s. I was very interested in where the internet was going and where uh, people were gonna be able to get their education and have access to the media. So even I think you know, at one point, maybe I'll retire to be a librarian and my dreams will be fulfilled. To what extent can you relate the metaphor of a librarian to that of a blockchain maintenance person? <laughs> well, because librarians actually have to ha be trusted individuals, right? There's people in the community that come. And if you think about librarians, what do they do? They order things. What are blockchains? They're 
blocks of orders. So, you know, there is actually a lot of connections between uh, information science and library science and blockchain as well.